Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. This is our every other week roundtable to discuss what matters to you in the fast-paced and challenging field of project management. We're here to keep you up to date, to keep you in the know, and to keep you invigorated as you face your own sets of challenges. We talk with people who are right there in the trenches with you. And it's our hope that you'll identify with the tasks they encounter and the rewards they achieve. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me are the two guys who make it all happen, Andy Crow and Bill Yates. And Andy, we have prevailed upon our guests from two weeks ago to join us once again to talk about innovators and how they and project managers can perhaps live together in blissful harmony. And you know what? I didn't get nearly enough last time. I walked away from this with my brain churning and uh, my mind turning over on this. So I'm excited that we get a chance to work with Steve again today. Well, let's remind our listeners about Steve. Steve Nedvedek is the Senior Manager of Learning and Development and Innovation Specialist for Chick-fil-A Incorporated. He's been with the company for almost 30 years as a film producer, a marketing consultant, and program manager. Now he teaches and coaches and helps staff members solve the tough business problems that arise in a competitive and challenging company. And one other thing that's very, very cool, we think, is that Steve also is the co-creator and author of the new sci-fi graphic novel series, The Jekyll Island Chronicles, first published in May of 2016. We, we all think that is very, very cool. Steve, welcome back to Manage This. Oh, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. And for the listeners, this really is a round table. So I just I thought that was very interesting. Wow, you, you described this accurately. Good job, Nick. And we're all knights uh, here. So you, you have been knighted. Now, last time you came, Steve, you gave us some examples of innovation and projects that took place over the life and growth of Chick-fil-A. From the legacy of Truett Cathy inventing the perfect chicken sandwich, building the model, executing the model, leading to great success and an impressive market share. And as we talked about last time, Chick-fil-A went from the hunter of that wide market to the hunted, mm. hunted by the competition, and that presented its own set of challenges. So let's pick it up there. Innovation has to remain at the forefront, but it seems sometimes that innovators and project managers are like oil and water. Uh, you know, innovators are too predictable. They won't commit to schedules or budgets. So why is innovation still so important to a company the size and reputation of Chick-fil-A? Well, I think, Nick, when you, when you get into um, the ability for a company to continue to grow, because that's what all organizations want to do is mm -hmm. grow is you have to begin to ask yourself, so where's that growth going to come from? And there's, there's certainly a, an amount of growth that's going to happen as you do what you've always done. But you can't always count on the future to look like the present. And uh, in 2007, 2008 or so, our executive committee decided that we needed to put more chips in the future and figure some things out as to how we were going to take new ground. Mm. Um, again, sales growth, and especially for Chick-fil-A, um, successful sales growth, can cover a variety of cracks. And you have to acknowledge that there are things underneath the surface mm. that you're going to have to deal with ultimately. Because, for example, in 2007, 2008, Trick Cathy was still alive. And you have this moment of clarity when I guess you go, yeah, and he's not always going to be with us. Mm. 
And he's not always going to be interjecting into the conversation. Hey, guys, let's do my pleasure. You know, let's 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 take uh, new ground with this concept or that concept or come up with this, you know, this idea, this product. So you have a realization that we got to own this better and we all have to own this together. And so for us, it was a, a, a moment of clarity where we decided that we we're going to have to create a kind of a discipline of innovation so that we had a new reality where growth and where new revenue streams were going to be able to come from the enterprise that people could work on collectively. So whether or not you're an innovator or you're a project manager, you're going to have to be able to work on things together hmm. so that you could start the new, create the new, and protect the new. Hmm. And uh, that's where we begin our current um, trek toward turning a culture of continuous improvement to a culture that really was more innovation-centric. And so turning that corner, uh, obviously uh, that was not completely painless uh, and maybe still isn't. That's a really nice way to put it. (laughs) No, it it did not. um, it, It had plenty of challenges, let's put it that way. And and uh, part of that was just for us as an organization realizing that we didn't even know what innovation was. Mm. Uh, one of the first things that I was able to do when I came over from marketing into the innovation space was uh, ask 50 friends who worked at Chick-fil-A corporate, some of whom I'd known for a very short period of time, some of whom I'd known for almost you know, 25 years. Is, what does innovation mean? And no two answers were the same. So you, you begin to realize pretty early you don't have common definition. You don't have a common process. And, and because you don't share a common vision, how in the world can you make this thing a reality? So you have to do those things. Um, you have to figure out what's going on with the culture. Do we have a culture of innovation? Hands down, everybody said no. We, we don't because we're – afraid to, to risk things. We're afraid to break things. Um, we don't know how to innovate. And so those were some of the things that early on, we don't have time. We, we don't have margin. So those are the things early on where we had to kind of put systems and, and environments in place and process in place to help people begin to feel comfortable with a reality that wasn't their current reality, you know, mm-hmm. to, to be respectful of what was going to be coming up in the future and how we're going to have to tackle that together. Steve, uh, Steve and I have known each other for a number of years, and one of my favorite titles, and I may butcher this, but I think at one point his title at Chick-fil-A was uh, Innovator in Residence. Yes. And yes. I used to have fun teasing him about that. Yeah. That was always a good, that was a good title I could yeah, start conversations with. <laughs> yeah. But this, it's intriguing to think about the time period and two words that you just said, innovation. We needed to get better at innovation. Mm-hmm. We needed to change how we innovated. And we needed a disciplined approach to that. Yeah. So innovation and right. discipline. And I know you took some um, some field trips, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You went and looked at uh, not just within Chick-fil-A, but looking outside the industry mm-hmm. and uh, looking at educators, universities, and other organizations in completely different industries to learn about how do you guys innovate. Uh, tell us about some of those experiences. Right. Well, there was there was a whole group that was going out to uh, to create an innovation center. Hmm. Uh, they knew that there were innovation centers that existed. They didn't know what they looked like. 
So they started to do a little field trip. So people went to um, Procter & Gamble, which in fact had two innovation centers uh. at that point in time. Uh, Lucasfilm, Pixar, uh, Hewlett Packard, D-School, IDEO. These so, are so different. Yeah, it's, you know, th- th- this was the group of folks who um, were responsible for taking an 80,000-square-foot building that we had on campus and totally renovating it into a place that became an 80,000-square-foot safety net, hmm. a place to do innovation, a place where we could actually try things and fail, hmm. a place where we could um, create, a place where we could prototype, all things that we had never done before, um, or at least not on the scale of a, you yeah. know, the enterprise-wide you know, side of where we were. And, uh, and then I personally had a chance to go out and spend time with Stanford and IDEO and D-School and uh, you know, Procter & Gamble to see their systems and the processes wow. that they were putting into place. So we were building out this 80,000-square-foot environment, which we wound up calling Hatch. Why did you call it Hatch? Uh, because, A, it's, I guess, chicken-centric. Got it. <laughs> and, B, it's, it fits innovation. It was a place to, to hatch ideas. Uh, and so um, we knew that we were going to work differently there. We had to. Uh, we were encouraging people who were working in suits and ties to be mm. able to come in and put on a pair of jeans, mm. roll up their sleeves, and cut foam core and create you know new restaurants out of low-resolution material. Uh, we were encouraging people that it was okay to spill paint on the floor. And, you know, you, you want to get dirty. You want to get messy. You, you have to work fast. So we had a, a bunch of new work principles that we kind of put into place for the building. Um, it became the kind of the cool place to hang out, which was, which was fun. I mean, we're glad to have people there, but we wanted people there working and learning. Uh, and then we began to really kind of codify, so what does innovation mean at Chick-fil-A? And how do we take some of the classic models of design thinking and, and twist them so that they could become a, a structure, a discipline of solving a problem. Mm. Uh, and so we were able to do that with, you know, with uh, the help of some other folks, you know, in the in the building and other people outside of Chick Fil A who helped us really think through that. Mm-hmm. And and it was it was great. And those things still exist now. In fact, Hatch, the eighty thousand square foot building, is now a learning center, mm-hmm. and we've in, opened up another Hatch. <laughs> which is a prototyping center. Ah, yeah. Okay, so you come up, the output from Hatch is an idea? Is it a spike? Is it uh, a new project? Is it something that gets tested? What happens? The answer is yes. Um, it, it can be any or and all of those things. What we found, Andy, is that we needed a, we needed a comfortable environment for people to learn innovation process. And, mm-hmm. and for us, it's a five-step process understand imagine prototype validate launch so understand uh, a, a problem well defined is half solved when you're an innovator and this will ring true especially with the pms out there your your ideas you want to launch them immediately you, your process is imagine launch imagine launch <laughs> imagine launch right and that drives anybody crazy who's got to scale an idea or actually settle it down so that it can work. Huh. And what we found is that many of the people uh, who were Imagine Launch DNA weren't really going back to understand the problem they were trying to solve in the first place. Yeah. You're answering a question no one's asking. Yeah. And that's tough. 
Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue too that a lot of organizations want to get into the design without thoroughly understanding the problem, and that there's a lot of resistance to talking about problems. People get uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people start shifting in their seat when you start talking about a real problem and really probing into it. So I love that. Uh, I love your phrase, a problem well-defined is half-solved. But I think I have found repeatedly people just get uncomfortable talking about a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, and you have to know when to stop talking about it and when to actually start doing something with it. <laughs> right. and, and that's kind of the key is uh, the understand stage that we, and we put a lot more emphasis on this now than we did back in the, you know, in, in the um, previous eras of Chick-fil-A is because – when you are solving a problem for 2,000 restaurants, it's a lot different than when you're solving for 10. Mm. And so you have to be more disciplined to be able to figure out and, and hit it from a variety of different ways. Say more about that. Why is it different? Well, I mean, the scale kills you. You, mm. you have to figure out how regionality affects the problem. You have to figure out how, um, in some instances, the, the type of the concept affects the problem. Mm. Are you talking about a restaurant with four walls? Are you talking about a drive-through only? Mm. Are you talking about an inline kind of a store where you're you know you're around the, uh, the Avenue of the Americas in you know in uh, New York City, mm. which is no drive-through, just walk-up. Mm. So uh, are you talking about an airport location, a hospital mm. location? So you have more concepts now that this problem you know overlays, and mm. you've got to figure out how to solve the problem in all of those different concepts. What does the maximization of benefit yep. look yep. like? That's right. That's right. Uh, so, you know, when you get to the point of, of really beginning to ideate and solve for the thing that you understand, that really doesn't take an incredible amount of time compared to some of the other, you know, stages. Mm-hmm. Because everybody, most everybody that I've run into on staff has been in a brainstorm session or likes to ideate or, you know, likes to throw ideas up against a wall. But what you do with them, how you evaluate them, and then how do you come up with prototypes where you can actually test and try things fast, mm. where, you can, where you can go quickly. That's where project managers can really help because you don't want to have the um, – you don't need an idea to be perfect at this point. You're still okay with it being muddy. You're still okay with it moving through the, the process. It's toggling back and forth. Between imagine and prototype, imagine prototype, imagine prototype, until you get something that you feel like you can validate, put in a in a test restaurant somewhere and see does it solve the problem you're trying to solve at the beginning, and if it doesn't, where did you go wrong? Right. You know, um, whose voice was it that caused it to change? <laughs> did the problem actually change yeah. over time? And then, of course, launching it to two thousand plus restaurants. Mm. Can you give us some examples of, of some of the ideas that, that were hatched, uh, incubated, I, I guess, here in Hatch? Uh, sure. Was it, was it menu uh, as, as well as you know, was, restaurant layout? Yeah, it, it was all those things, Nick. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we worked on things that were IT-related. Uh, so the Chick-fil-A One digital app, yep. that was worked on in Hatch and, and went through the innovation process. Uh, we worked on internal things for how do we work with our operator franchisees to uh, to do accounting procedures. What the coolest thing is to see accountants innovate, <laughs> and they do. Um, they smoke uh, coming out of their it's ears. Just, it's just different, you know. You walk into a room and there are numbers all over the board, and because because spreadsheets are prototypes. But you know the famous joke, Steve, is the best accountant. Uh, you add, to find the best accountant, you ask them. Uh, What's two plus two? 
And uh, the one who says four is not it. The one who says three is not it. The one who says, do you have any particular number in mind? (laughs) That's the accountant you want. So I think innovation, (laughs) you can get a little too innovative sometimes for the IRS. Well, you have have, um, everybody that's in different departments at Chick-fil-A, there are innovators in all those different departments. Mm -hmm. So they're not all just wired one way. They're wired, you know, in a multiplicity of ways. Uh, but one of the things that comes to mind that was a big one that, that we really, really did explore and hatch was our first Manhattan location. Hmm. When you think about um, a restaurant in Manhattan, and this was really more disruptive innovation for us because location ties you down to specific systems that you have to put into place. So when you have a location that has three stories, you have to figure out how to split a kitchen in half. Mm-hmm. We've never done that before. There was no need to do that before. And suddenly you have a need to figure out what goes on what level and what goes on another level. Or um, something as simple in, in Manhattan as how do you refrigerate trash? Right. Now think about it. Huh. You know, because people don't usually think about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you're walking down the streets in New York, when do you see trash at night? The, the streets like open up, those big metal grids open up, and the yep. trash just comes vomiting out yep. onto the sidewalk, and then they take it to New Jersey in the middle of the night or wherever <laughs> they put it. Um, the garden place but, in America. But, um, you know, I, I just – I know that we had to solve for things like that that were functional. But for us, the biggie was what we called upstream ordering. And that was how do you take a line of people, a massive amount of people, a a line that stretches from 6th Avenue to 5th Avenue, and get them through in a fast way. And you don't do it the way that we do it in a suburban Chick-fil-A. So we had to come up with all new systems in place. We use an operator innovation team, which I lead five times a year to solve those problems. And we work with project managers who were working off of deadlines to solve those problems. So it was a beautiful marriage of innovative thinking, project managers, people out in the field who were testing things as we went along in order to be able to launch when we did in Manhattan. And Forbes magazine called that system of upstream ordering um, when they wrote an article about it, the master stroke. And and that's what happens when you get people who are wired differently working together on a problem uh, and, and working on a deadline and solving the problem that they're trying to, you know, understand that's fantastic yeah it's, it's a great story i would mm. highly encourage anybody who's in manhattan to go see our chick-fil-a restaurants there they're fantastic mm. I, one of the things that um you mentioned that i thought was a very important point i want to go back and and um sit there for a moment you said you have innovators in the different departments of chick-fil-a yes so who who are these people who are these people well you you come to understand over time that there are folks that just walk up to you and go I like what you do. How do you do more of that? Yep. Or um, for me, I'm a stimulate progress person, personally. And if I'm in a preserve the core function, I get real antsy because that's just not the way that I'm wired. Mm-hmm. So how do I explore within this preserve the core function those ideas of innovation mm-hmm. and, and trying new things? And uh, we have a lot of personal conversations. In fact, what we have now is we've created a whole team of innovation coaches. So we have coaches in each of the departments, um, and we're growing this list of people who are wired for innovation. But but seriously, they're they're like like in the legal department, mm. and they're wired for innovation, or they're working in real estate, or they're working in you know accounting. Yeah. And so it's it's refreshing to see that there are people that you can find 
that have the wiring and the discipline that you need to be able to, to live in these departments and then influence their department toward not just preserving the core, but stimulating progress when you have to. And you know another element that really relates to preserving the core. When you're talking about accountants, when you're talking about lawyers in particular, and I'm sure some of our listeners fall into each of those camps, those can be very risk averse mm-hmm. professions and disciplines. Uh, a That's lot right. of you know a lot of law you're taught to to manage the downside of risk at every turn. Accounting's right. the same way. It's it can be very uh, very binary. That's right. Um, now you're bringing those people in and teaching them to innovate. You've got to to some degree get them comfortable with risk and with failure. That's mm-hmm. true. And and the people that you are really bringing into the fold are people that probably already have a natural bent toward. Um, risking more. They just mm. got convinced to go into law or accounting. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or, or that's where they found that they could make a living. Sure. Or that's where they are currently. Mm-hmm. That may not be where they wind up in their, you know, in their career journey, but that's the group that they're in currently. So what, what's really key to make this thing work is to have senior leadership recognize mm-hmm. that th- within your department, people are wired differently. Um, there's one friend that I have uh, in financial services that has figured out on his leadership team who are the people who preserve the core and who are the people that stimulate progress. And the people that preserve the core work on annual budgets and annual plans, and they make sure that things are being met along the way and milestones are, are being hit. And the people that are interested in stimulating progress are the people that are working on long-range planning. So they're thinking three to five years out. So they're thinking about what is broken, where is the pain that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So they're all working together, but he's got them separated into, okay, so here's your focus and here's your focus. And I believe that every department that's got some size to it has people like that. And I think it's really, really incumbent upon a smart leader to understand who their people are, how they're wired, and to unleash them into those areas, knowing that they got to work together in order to ultimately accomplish their goals. I agree with that 100%. I've met some of your innovators, and they're very, they're creative, they're fun, Mm -hmm. and the ideas just flow. They wake up and the ideas start flowing. There's a part of me professionally that gets intimidated or scared by that. Mm-hmm. And it is that piece, the project manager piece of me going, wow, what if I was working on a project? And I had a couple of these innovators on there. Yeah, How would we coexist? How would we, how, right. I could just see the conversations of, okay, we need to nail the scope of this engagement, this project by this date, because we have to kick off, you know, the first week in August or whatever. Right. But they want more time or they want to evaluate or they want to talk to more customers. Mm-hmm. They want to do more, um, maybe viewing the sites and seeing how the current process works. How, what are some keys to success that you've seen with those innovators that, that your group has trained to help them interface with project managers so that they can can coexist? Well, you have to realize that innovators may be just as scared as project managers as project managers are with innovators. Right. And that what they do really well, the other group doesn't. So that's that can be intimidating for, for both groups. But again, I, I would go back to, to leadership and recognizing that you can't spend forever mm-hmm. making something perfect. Right. Um, so you have to realize that perfect is the enemy of good. And a lot of times things are good enough and you have to move forward because you're in a learning journey. People get thrown off when they're in Imagine because they go, well, we can't do that. We can't. Look, you're just in Imagine. You're not anywhere near launch mm-hmm. yet. 
Yeah. You, you still have three other stages to get to before you're going to get it into restaurants. Mm-hmm. So give yourself the time to make those mistakes and learn, but also give yourself the grace to know that you, you know, you're not going to get it right. And, you know, we're going to, but we do have deadlines that we have to meet in order to open up the store in Manhattan. That, mm-hmm. that deadline wasn't changing. Right. We had to get it right. And we knew it. And that extra pressure is sometimes really helpful. I can't imagine some of your competitors going through this process. I've been in, in different uh, uh, different implementations, different fast food places, different quick serve, um, and I can't imagine some of the competition disciplining and going through this that way. Um, I've got a question for you, Steve, as I'm thinking this through. One of the things that I've found is that the processes quickly put down roots. Mm-hmm. When, a, when an organization implements a new process or an old process, they, they, they formalize it, it puts down roots, and now all of a sudden you have people's career paths aligning to that process, you have compensation plans aligning to that process. And so mm-hmm. what happens is that process resists going away. Yes. It fights for its life. It takes on, uh, it, it almost becomes a living thing. Right. And now you're in an innovation center where sometimes it's going to be to put in a new process, but sometimes it's going to be to retire an old one at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see in that regard? How, how do you approach a problem like that? And I think one of the big things that we've learned in the last couple of years to that very point is you've got to have folks around you who are really gifted in change management. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and being able to it, – it's kind of like they have to translate. You know, you've got one group that speaks one way, one group speaks another way, and then you've got a group that's kind of in the middle that's responsible for change management. So they understand what's going to, what's the pain that this is going to cause when we change? What are the fears that people are going to have if we do this? What's the security that they can know when this change does occur? And, And what's the process that we have to use and the timeline that we have to use in order to see this thing that has been rooted for so long pulled up and to have this new thing planted? And so that's that's those are new words. It's a new language that we're spending a lot of time thinking about, uh, not just the change management piece, but really digging deep into how does innovation and, and project management world overlay. Mm. So all the tools that the PMs are using, how does how do those tools fall into uh, understand? You know, years ago, prototype. right? I worked with a utility that was struggling with this idea of change management. And I engaged with them to kind of help them through this. And one of the things that we figured out from the start is you're putting in all of these processes, but none of them have a sunset clause. None of them have an expiration date. Mm. So suddenly there's a new process and it's, it is the law of the land forever. It doesn't Mm -hmm. get revisited. It doesn't get looked at again. And each of those things constrains you um, which they're supposed to. You want, you know, I think a couple of weeks ago you talked about the coleslaw. You don't yeah. want people innovating at the store level uh, yeah. on the coleslaw recipe. Yeah. You want you want some constraints <laughs> in place. But those, uh, th- there comes a time when people need to revisit these processes, look at them again, and take a fresh look and decide do they get renewed. Well, and that and that product of coleslaw is a really interesting way to kind of end the talk because. You know, we don't have coleslaw anymore. Hmm. <laughs> we we have a super superfood side, and it's kale. Wow. And why do we have that? Because when you talk to – now, I love coleslaw. Don't get me wrong. I'd eat it every day if I could. <laughs> but um, when you talk to, to new people that are coming in, new customers, when you're looking at trends, when you're thinking at, uh, look at things that have changed. Hmm. 
You know, you have to move from A to B. And for us, the pain that people still feel with having one of their favorite products gone is tough. But knowing as an organization that that's the step you have to take in order to kind of stay relevant and know what you're going to be doing and what revenue streams are going to be available to you in the future, I mean, it, Coleslaw's a great example of change management. Well, Steve Nedvedek, we are indebted to you for your time and sharing your expertise and creativity with us. We're going to try to repay part of that debt right now. Uh, a parting gift for you, this shiny new Manage This Yay. coffee mug, tea mug. Uh, you can put coleslaw in it. I could put coleslaw <laughs> yeah, in this. Yeah. Yes. A, a, a perfect companion as you eat more chicken. Well, thank you very much, Nick. I appreciate it. And thank you, Andy. And thank you, for Bill, for having me here. It's been, been my pleasure. Hey, before you go, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, of course, LinkedIn is one way to, to find me. And then uh, my email is, is always great, too. Steve.Nedvedek, N-E-D-V-I-D-E-K, at CFACorp.com. And I'll try to get back to people as soon as I can. Well, thanks again, Steve. Andy and Bill, great conversation. Thanks so much. We want to remind our listeners that we have a gift for you as well, just for listening to this podcast. It's a great way to pick up free PDUs, professional development units, toward your recertifications. To claim those PDUs, go to VelociTeach.com and select Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and just click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on August 1st for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can visit us at VelociTeach.com slash Manage This to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And tweet us at Manage underscore This if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. We always like hearing from you. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this. <laughs>